Hey folks, Rigor here. So I have another disclaimer for you. However, this episode is in no way, shape, or form uh, controversial, like our last episode in which we discussed John Carpenter's Vampires. My guest today is Juan Ortiz from the B-Movie cast, and we talked about two Mexican vampire films. However, uh, we had someone that pulled out at the last minute, and so we had a slot open. So what I've decided to do was to split this episode into two because we talked about two different films. So uh, what you're going to hear today basically will be part one of the Mexican films. And then at a later point, you'll hear part two. So today we are going to discuss the Mexican film, The World of the Vampires from 1960. And I'll be back at the end to remind you of all this and we'll go from there. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Sean Cannon, and you are listening to the Then Is Now podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 day of Halloween event. I'm your host, Rigor. In years past, we've covered the scariest films of all time, as well as zombie movies last year. This year's topic is vampire movies. And joining me today is a newcomer to the show, although he's not a newcomer to podcasting, Juan Ortiz of the amazing and wildly popular B-Movie cast. Welcome to the show, Juan. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure being on the show with you this morning. It's awesome. So glad to have you. You know, we had you here before. Well, not on Then Is Now, but we had you on the Fright Lounge video show and uh, looking forward to have you back again on that. Um, but before we get into the films that we're going to cover, can you just sort of tell the listeners about yourself and about the B-Movie cast? Sure, not a problem. Um, well, basically, what I, I've, been, um, I've been into films many, many years. Uh, I, you know, I've been collecting uh, classic sci-fi horror films and I got into the Mexican filmography because that's one of my my main topics now as um, I had visited Mexico various occasions and times and uh, I wanted to see what the lore was because as a kid I remember you know watching a lot of these uh, Mexican movies on chiller theater fright night you know on TV late night you know and of course these were the English dub versions but um, I, I, I've been uh, into the films now about a good 30, 35 years. I've been, you know, collecting and watching classic horror sci-fi films. And, the, the, you know, the Mexican filmography side of it, it came, into the, came into play in the early 80s. 
that's when I got it and started getting an interest in these films because they're very obscure. They're not really seen here in the United States. Internationally, they have been seen worldwide in many different countries. But here in the States, you know, only late night television. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, you know, doing some research into these films. And uh, uh, lo and behold, I was able to get into some great contact people down in Mexico. And I started searching old theaters. <laughs> Believe it or not, Roger, I was hunting to try to find any kind of uh, memorabilia relating to these films, i.e. lobby cards, movie po old movie posters of the films nice. from the theaters. And uh, I was able to get quite a bit of them, an extensive lobby card collection, Mexican lobby cards on all, all these horror films. So it intrigued me and I said, well, you know what, I'm gonna try to come back and I'm gonna see if I can create um, uh, this genre open it and develop it into, you know, into the market in the U.S. where, you know, the Americans can see what the other side of Mexico is as far as Mexican horror, classic ones. I mean, you know, we have our side over here, of course, Universal from the 30s, 40s. And um, but, you know, Mexico at the same time during that period was exploring our Universal horror films. So they decided to do their take on it. So um, I went on, continued to do that. And uh, I started doing conventions in the in the in the early 90s. I started my convention trade routes where I was doing shows and conventions and trying to, you know, um, let let the fans know, hey, you know, check out this type of horror. You know, it's pretty cool, and uh, it worked. So we developed a big fan base throughout the, the 90s, and then in the 2000s, early I started doing more conventions. I was exposing myself, and then um, I started going to a convention called Monster Bash. This was up in uh, this is up in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, and um, I went there as a guest back in 2005, the first time just to see the show. And lo and behold, that particular event, that convention, was already uh, uh, doing uh, uh, filmings of Mexican horror. They were exploring the Mexican horror filmography at the Monster Bash, and I said, "Wow, this is a perfect niche." And I talked to the promoter and. He says, yeah, you know, we, you know, my people really like these films and I wish we can get more and more of them. Of course, the ones that he had at the time were all Spanish versions of the films. <laughs> he right, didn't have right. any that were English or none that were subtitled. So I says, oh, wow. So, you know, I, I started, you know, working and got into play because I got uh, a company in California that does subtitling for me. And a lot of these Mexican horror films, I've got subtitles to that were never had subtitles before. So the fans can really... You know, if they don't know the Spanish, they can at least read the subtitles and, you know, get the plot summary of the film and know what the film is about. So um, Mr. Adams at the Monster Badge, he said, Daniel, we, we'd love to have you as a, as a vendor. You know, I mean, what kind of stuff do you sell? So I basically told him, I'm into the classic sci-fi horror. You know, I do horror from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, of course, 70s. And I've also been into the Mexican filmography. And he was amazed. He said, oh, wow, this is just what we need. We'd love to have you come to our show and attend it. So I did. My first show there was 2006. And, um, you know, I, I went to the show. And that's where I met the very first time Vince Fratolo, who had started. Actually, he was on the verge of starting a new podcast. Back then, those were the early stages of podcasting, if you know what I mean. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people didn't really know how to go about to do it. They didn't know 
how it was involved. It was with radio or do you have to go on live TV to do it? And all. But he was exploring that. And he says, you know what? I'm thinking of putting together a show um, and I'm going to call it the B-Movie Cast because he's a huge fan of what I am, too, which was uh, Mexican classic movies, uh, classic universal horrors. He loved classic sci-fi from the 50s. One of his favorite films, and I got to add this, this is how we we really hit it off really good, uh, was The Invasion of the Saucer Man from yeah. 1957. And that was his, that's his all, that was his all-time classic film. So, lo and behold, he stayed, he stayed, he stayed about three hours at my table talking about movies. And his <laughs> wife, his wife came by about two or three, Vince, come on, we got, they said, wait, I'll be there in a minute. And he, we went on and on and on. <laughs> and we, we developed a friendship. And then uh, the following year, in 2007, I, I was there. He came back, and he came back, and we talked. And, and then he said, I would like to invite you uh, as a guest on my podcast. I have a new podcast. It's called The Bee Movie Cast. And I'd love to have you on. I have another gentleman by the name of Nick Brown, who's a co-host, and myself. And uh, my wife, at the time, Mary was not a co-host. She right. was like in the background, it was just him and Nick. And I says, I'd love to, you know what I mean? Come on the show a couple of times. So that's what happened. And uh, I went on for uh, a couple of episodes. And I guess Nick liked it. He liked it so much that the, he got emails from fans saying, hey, you need to get that guy Juan back on the show. <laughs> he, he really knows his stuff about all these movies, man. He's like the, the Robin Osborne of Mexican filmography. I said, wait a minute. I said, okay, so then he approached me again. He sent me an email. I says, Juan, how would you like to be a second co-host on this show? This was not even a year later when he had started his show. Wow. So that's how it happened. So I became a regular, you know, on the cast, and we started doing all these amazing uh, horror classic sci-fi, you name it. We even got into spaghetti westerns. We did it all. And uh, the fans loved it. We, got a, we built a, a database of fans about over a thousand, you know, up until 2010, 11. And uh, the show was going strong. We were doing shows every Sunday and they were going from, they started out at one hour to an hour and 20 minutes. And then they went on to an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half. And then before <laughs> you knew it, we were almost at the three hour mark doing a podcast similar to you, yeah. to what you did with the Zoom guests. And, um, you know, we kind of like say, well, we need to cut it back down a little bit because if we're doing this on a weekly basis, we need to kind of like keep it down. The fans loved it. And we did get a lot of um, a lot of listeners. A lot of the listeners back then now have their own shows. They have their own podcasts. They have their own blogs. Uh, and it's amazing how they got the inspiration because Vince was a very mellow man. You know, he talked. He, it was, he was himself. He wasn't trying to be a radio host personality he wasn't trying to be a tv host he was himself and that's what the people liked to be yourself you right. talk about what you love and you know that's what it's all about and um we went on and i tell you it was amazing because every year that i would go to the bash we started developing and having like a family of the b-movie cast and a lot of the members a lot of the listeners were going to the show to to meet vince and meet me and meet mary and nick and uh, it became a tradition every year. We would have, oh, huge numbers of fans come to the show just to hang out with us and be with us and hear stories and everything else. So that's how it happened. 
And, uh, and you know, until what happened is this, unfortunately, you know, in 2017, um, Vince Rotolo, 2017, 20, he passed away. Right. And, uh, you know, and it, it was a huge loss. I mean, the whole community felt that very emotionally. We, you know, it, it, to the point to where I actually went to his home. Uh, me, Nick, and Mary, we were there, and we actually did a uh, a live cast from from the actual uh, room where he used to do this every week, and it was so emotional, you know. And we really, we, you know, everybody missed him, and we had a thing at the Bimu, at the um, at the at the Monster Bash. We did a tribute to him. Ron did a special tribute in his honor, and he was even given the uh, the Golden Flory Award because every year. Ron Adams hands out an award. It's a statue. It's like an Academy Award. Yeah. It's called the Golden Forey, the Forey Aikman Award. He hands it out to, you know, special individuals and, and, and people that that been with the uh, the uh, Monster Bash for years and years. And and Vince, you know, was honored to be one of the ones to receive that. His wife received it posthumously. So, I mean, and then that was it. So, but, but to this day, we're still keeping it alive because Mary, I had talked to her and said, look, we need to keep this alive because it's still we still got a lot of fans. We don't have the fans we had before, but we still got a lot of listeners that still call in and uh, send emails. And um, we wanted to hit the 500th episode. If anything, I told Mary, let's try to make it to 500 because that would be an accomplishment in itself. And right. we did. Yeah, we were able to reach 500, which was one of his another one of his Vince's favorite movies, which was a uh, a Clockwork Orange. Right. <laughs> so we, we did, did. Did you listen to that? one? Yes. Oh yeah, I listened to every okay. one. Okay. Yeah, that was almost a four hour cast. By yeah. The way. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it, you know, and that's yeah. what it's all about, you know, really expressing ourselves out to the fans and the listeners that love to hear these shows. So yeah. I'm still with it. You know, and I still do the conventions and I'm getting ready to uh, to head up north here in about two weeks. I'm going to Baltimore to do a, a different kind of a convention, Roger. It's a little bit different because I'm into I happen to be into classic silent films and pre-code films and a lot of the films from the silent era in the early 30s, believe it or not. Oh, nice. I'm a, I'm a fanatic of that. And I'm going to a convention called the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. Convention. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of, heard of it or yes, not. Yes, I have, actually. Uh, yeah, and uh, Martin Grams, who's a promoter, tremendous guy. He's a great friend. Uh, I've been doing that show now for like about 13 or 14 years now. And uh, it's, it's a great in-between show from doing my horror ones. And uh, just to see, you know, get on the nostalgic side and, you know, the comedies, the musicals and all this, westerns, film noir cover it all and it's amazing roger that you see how many people really get into this and they come and we talk movies basically just to talk about movies and what we like what we you know how we feel about these films and everything so i do that show i'm doing that in a couple of weeks and then i'm going to be heading out to chiller theater in october uh the 20 27th or the 26th of october a week before halloween nice i'm going up to new jersey to do chiller theater which is another great show it's a three-day event then i'll be coming back to florida and i'll be ending up the year wrapping it up in december i'm doing a convention in ocala florida called spookala uh, spookala <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like a weird name but it's a horror convention now that convention is primarily uh 80s a lot of the 80s horror 
So you're going to see all the Freddy Kruegers, all the Jasons, you know, you're going to see all the Michael Myers walking around and everything is centered around 80s horror and 70s too. So I'll be doing that one at the end of the year and that'll wrap up the year for me. Um, continuing to, to, to do these shows, you know, we, we get in the B-movie cast every once in a while. We, we get in a, a Mexican horror one. We either do a Lucha Libre, a Santo Blue Demon, or we do one of the obscure horror films. Right. Now, the two films we're talking about today, um, believe it or not, we have not done The Empire of Dracula, but we did, did, we did do The World of the Vampires. Okay. So, I mean, uh, you know, um, looking forward to maybe next year, we might, might, we, might, we might tackle The Empire of Dracula because it's a good one. And that's it. That's going to be the wrap-up for the year for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving this stuff, Roger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for you, man. You're so busy and everything just keeps moving forward. It's really awesome. You know, and I think I told you before, I have to say um, Vince and the B-Movie cast was really what inspired me to to get these um, podcasts off the ground. In fact, I've got another one. um, Well, as of this recording, which is early September, I've got a third one coming up with um, uh, Robert Monell. And we're going to be talking about cult films on that one. But, um, yeah, I was devastated when Vince left us. And um, it really, really uh, hit me hard. And because he was such an inspiration, like you said, you know, he really just his his mellow demeanor. And he was so calm and it, and he was just funny I mean, without I don't even think he realized how funny he was, you know. Right. Uh huh. You know, it's just the way he got criticized a few times. Emails, people would say he's he's talking too mellow. He's got that that voice that carries on, uh, you know. Like, and I was like, well, wait a minute, that's him. You know, he's being himself. He's not trying to be anybody else. Who doesn't want to be? And it, just by him, his nature, the way he talked and he laughed and he shared his knowledge of the movies that he loves and that we all like, um, really intrigued a lot of people. And you know, Nick and myself. We added on to the, the the subject matter and the conversation with that, so it was really a lot of fun. It has been, and a lot of the shows, uh, some of these shows were amazing. We did episode one hundred, which was the B movie cast uh, backyard party, uh, and we had a lot of in, in, invites and guests. And if you listen to that episode, it's the episode called uh, the Doctor X. Oh yeah, the, uh, okay. The doc, the Doctor X, and the Return of Doctor X. Yeah. Um. That 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 particular episode, it was amazing, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, and then every you know episode two hundred and then three hundred, and believe it or not, the last episode that we did, Roger, before Vince passed, was the Body Snatchers. Oh, In yeah. other words, it it was a Mexican horror film of the uh, uh, the Body Snatchers. So, and we had a special guest on that show. Uh, Roberto Bob Carter was a special invite to be on the show with us to do the uh, the body snatchers. And he, Bob Carter passed away a few years ago too. But he he was the author of the mix that book that you got, the Mexican filmography of of, uh, of horror and and uh, lucha libre. That the book had Santo on the cover. Yep. He 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 was the author of that book. And uh, he joined us to do that very cast, the last one that we did, you know, after that Vince passed and we, we, we didn't have him anymore. But we went on. It was episode, I think it was 368 or 367. 
if okay. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so we went on and, you know, I told Mary, I think Mary wanted to call it quits then after that because she was too emotionally, you know, I mean, she really felt it, you know, and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She says, I, I don't know if I can continue to do this anymore because I don't know how Vince works the computers and, you know, the board and everything. And she was just on the side as, as a background there in all the shows. She would be there. And every once in a while, she would say something, but it was primarily Vince, Nick, and myself as the commentators. And she didn't know if she could do it. And Nick, you know, we Nick and I talked to her. We got to give it a try. If you know, if your heart says you have to do it, you want to keep the legacy going, keep it going. You know, I'm sure that he's resting in peace, and he sees what's happening. And you know, he'll he'll be. It'll be a happy spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so that that's that's yeah, that's what the what happened. So yeah, you know, I mean, you, you, I'm, I'm, thank you for letting me know. I mean, there's a lot of other people that I can mention if I don't mind. I like to mention Rich Chamberlain. Oh yeah, who's another? He was another listener that was with us, and uh, for many many years. As a matter of fact, he started out in the very early beginnings of the podcast, in the very first, you know under 100 episodes and i think episode in the 20s or the 30s he was already a, a voice he would call, call in and leaving voicemails right i remember and, that and richard richard chamberlain happens to have his own blog you know he's got yep. the, the monster movie kid blog and you know there was another gentleman that also you know monster kid radio uh, yeah oh his, derek his, derek cook yeah he was a, he was he was an avid before he was into the zombie stuff you know yeah and his name was brother d right if you remember him <laughs> as, as brother d but he would come on and he would do shows with us and he would call in and do voicemail and he also mentioned vince as an inspiration to him to go on and do his monster movie radio show right so you see there's a lot of a lot of podcasters that really you know that got have to say tributed Vince to being what they're at today, you know, and they're really happy and glad about that. And they always, from the bottom of their hearts, they thank Vince Rotolo for the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I've had Derek on the show a few times. I was on his show once, and he's also yeah. been on my other show, yeah. The East Meets the West. So we're all kind of like this little um, collective group, you know, almost like you said, like almost like a family, you know. And I, I right, like exactly. I like that, you know, you're here. I, I appreciate that because that makes me feel like I'm part of the club, you know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are. Awesome. Awesome. And one thing I wanted <laughs> to mention to you, too, because you you mentioned that you were into um, silent movies. Um, if you want to check out episode 99 of Then Is Now podcast, um, we had this guy on, David Mish. We've, we've had him on a few times. He used to write for Mork and Mindy and Police Squad. And okay. he goes around and lectures about the life of Buster Keaton. And we did a whole show oh. about Buster Keaton. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was yes. episode 99, so you have to check it out. Okay, I'll tune that in. Absolutely. Buster Keaton, he's one of my faves. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, I have uh, quite a few, I'm a, a, a huge collection of Buster Keaton films from the silent era. I'm talking about when... Buster Keaton back in the, the 1915, 16, 17, when he was doing the silence with Fatty Arbuckle, uh, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Right. And uh, even into the early 20s. And of course, his demise later on in the late 20s when sound came into play, you know, MGM, he kind of, you know, he got really messed. They, they messed him up really bad, you know, yeah. after this, after getting out of silence. But he went on to continue doing it. He, he thought he, he couldn't make it in the talkies, but he did. 
Yeah. And you know, Keaton was is amazing. He, he many many he even started doing uh uh, he was doing uh, the beach movies. He yep. was doing horror films, the, the Roger Corman. I mean, he did a little bit of everything. He was even on the Twilight Zone, believe it or not, yep. uh, Buster Keaton. So, yeah, he's one of my faves. I'll yeah. listen to that episode. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. So, folks, today we've got a special double feature for you. We're going to be talking about not one, but two Mexican horror films. As Juan mentioned, The World of the Vampires from 1961 and The Empire of Dracula from 1967. So sit back and get ready to learn about a couple of great films that you may not have heard of before. Class is in session. So, folks, this is a rather short one. Normally, our synopsis are a lot longer and a little bit more detailed, but <laughs> I couldn't find very many online. So, this is how the film goes. Many years ago, vampires attempt to kill off humans, but were prevented by a man named Coleman. Now, vampire Count Sabotai seeks revenge by killing the remaining members of the Coleman family lineage, an old man and his nieces. However, when family friend Rodolfo is, wo is wounded in an attack by Sabotai, he discovers an unusual way to fight back against the vampires, a special musical tone played on a piano. So, Juan, uh, when did you first see this and what was your first impression of it? <laughs> I was really amazed. I first saw this film, oh my God, this must have been easily um, maybe 18 years ago, about 18 years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was amazed because, you know, the, I, I was intrigued basically by El Vampiro, which is the main, that was one of the main, the main vampire films that came out in 57. But, you know, then they started doing more and more and more, you know, besides that one, you know, they had continuous vampire films, the follow up to a Vampiro, the vampire's coffin. And then, you know, uh, but then when this film came into play in 61, and this was basically the same year, believe it or not, that the Brainiac uh, was out. And then, you know, of course, the Brainiac was a year later in 62, 61, 62. But the inspiration there on the set of the brain, I watched the Brainiac and I said, oh my God, wait a minute. You know, I mean, and then, and, and they, there was a, uh, uh, like a drive-in double feature thing and they had the world of the vampires and the Brainiac together. I said, wow, I wonder why. And lo and behold, it was because of the fact that a lot of the set 
the sets on this film on the world of the vampires happens to be the same sets that were on the brainiac oh okay. you know yes if you look closely in the opening shots when count subote is walking through the castle that castle supposedly is the mansion that uh the that the brainiac was in the same mansion and in the woods the forest the beginning when you know he first uh the, the two get sabotage in the car and everything that foggy scenery the atmosphere that was the same when uh when when in the brain neck when he landed so i mean a lot of the you know you, you look at the things and except for the cave the cave sequences but um i really was intrigued to the fact that you know you could always kill a vampire with the stake you could kill him with a cross you could kill him with garlic you could kill him you know with all different things okay sunlight okay yeah but the idea of having music <laughs> to destroy a vampire wait a minute this is really intriguing so i i watched it and i i really liked it it's it's, it's different for the fact being that this is a, a particular vampire film where you know his women count subotai's vampire clan women were beautiful sexy cladded ladies that were, wow you know what i mean oh yeah but the men the vampire guys were all hideous deformed creatures Right. You know, they were they were not good looking guy vampire guys. So he, I guess, he wanted to have his vampire women looking good all the time for him. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was intrigued about that, and then the fact that you know, if you look at a lot of the vampire films, this particular film, what got to me was the fact of the use of the fangs. Now, if you look at you know, the Count mm -hmm. Subotai, and Subotai is kind of like a, a weird name. For uh, you know the lead head vampire, right. you know we know Dracula, we know Draco, we know um, Alucard, we know you know all these different you know vampire names. Maintaining the Dracula you know name like spelled backwards or whatever, but never Subotai. And I guess Subotai, I went on to do a little further research, meaning that his ancestors back in 300 years ago or 150 or 200 years ago were the clans that were running around. You know the counts they were called subotai that clan family and uh you know basically the colemans there was a generation of colemans 300 years ago that were like quote unquote van helsing type characters that were going around trying to destroy all these vampire clans 150 200 years ago so right. that's the reason why you know subotai has come back you know all these centuries and i guess it's a revenge story Right, and it follows right. the plot of the Brainiac, because the Brainiac is also a revenge story, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And he comes back in the 16th century in a comet, and he lands, and he sees, now he's taking revenge against those that did him wrong back then, that, you know, sent him to, to be crucified or burned at the stake. So now Subutai <laughs> is doing the same thing, but right. he's, he's targeting only the Coleman family like you mentioned yeah because the coleman family you know they're the heirs of the original ones that destroyed his his his, his uh, i guess his parents his clan you know back 150 200 years ago right so the story has a pretty good plot um taking it back saying well you know what there is a plot where there's a reason why he's going after the, the only the Colmans, and there's only three descending Colmans left yeah. which was of course the two nieces 
and you know the the, the older man in, in 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 the film okay yeah so i i, I tell you i mean uh it got to me and i said well you know this is pretty pretty cool but keep in mind i watched the spanish version of this you know because I, I wanted to see in the spanish version is very you know you can hear the original their voices and you know you can hear the characters and guillermo murai and all these guys in their original voices but then of course when the 60s rolled around guess who wanted to take this film and dub it into his form to make an english version of the film and uh he did that was k gordon murray right so this is how <laughs> this particular film went on to uh, become a late night favorite back in the 60s and 70s so uh, as an english dub version with his own you know creating his own uh dubbing and you know having people working out of the sound lab studios and coral gable florida's they're sitting in this there and then doing the doing all the editing and the dubbing for the original voices to the characters of this film and i tell you what it worked i mean it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's bad bad dubbing you know but I, I have both versions the spanish and the english dub and i every once in a while i i watch the english dub and then i like going back to the spanish version um you know with the subtitles but i don't need the subtitles anyway uh and and watch the film over this is a movie that you can watch again and again because of the attention to details throughout the entire film oh absolutely so, yeah you know i mean I, I, the theme of the film basically when it when it intrigued me when it involved music of all things there was no sunlight involved there was nothing with you know uh, uh, particular stakes that you needed to have, or you needed to put garlic and this and that to prevent. It was, it was. I guess maybe back then, the Subotai uh, clan back in the 16th, 17th century were fanatics of music, and they loved organ music, and they, you know, they played this organ pipe music, which led to him having his own personal skull and bones organ, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got a huge kick out of that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this was my first viewing, and um, you know, it it there were definitely elements that seemed familiar to me. So I think I may have actually caught it on late night TV back in the seventies. Um, but I ended up watching the YouTube version, so the quality of the print wasn't that great. But I didn't mind the dubbing, and the dubbing. And now that you said that K. Gordon Murray did it, that makes sense because the voice actors sounded familiar to me. So yeah, he, he, he these were character actors that uh, K. Gordon Murray used over and over again. Yeah, he he had them. He used them for this film. He used them for the Brainiac. He used them for the Living Head. He used them for I mean all the ones that he did that he was able to get dubbed over into you know into to English. Uh, you know um, the the swamp the Lake of the Swamp Monster was another one. That was the the Western version of Peach from the Black Lagoon. Right. Uh, he did right. he did the dubbing on that one too. So I mean, and but he picked a lot of the the real good ones. And of course, he knew that uh, the Salazar brothers, Abel Salazar and Alfredo Salazar, were huge instrumental factors in creating the APSA production company back in the fifties, which led to doing all of these uh, these horror films. Everything tied into Abel and, and Alfredo Salazar. Right. And of course, they're, they're behind this film too. Abel Salazar and Alfredo are behind the making of this film also. Though it was Alfonso Corona Blake who directed the film, who went on, believe it or not, he went on to do 
Sans Santo versus the Vampire Women. He directed that one, right? Because I guess the atmosphere was just right. You know what I mean? So, um, being the fact that it was the Salazar brothers, they wanted to keep it that theme, that real atmospheric, um, how do you call it, the universal type feel to the film, right? You right. see what I mean? Though this didn't really have a, a universal type feel to it per se, but some of the other ones that he did kind of like had that feeling. So, you know, that's why he he couldn't do all of them, but he did a lot of the good ones that we like, you know, and he, he dubbed the uh, uh, K. Gordon Murray dubbed it into English. So but the Spanish versions, believe it or not, Roger, a lot of the fans still want the Spanish versions. They want to hear what their original voices are, like in the Santo films. Yeah. A lot of my Santo films, I they want me. You no, know, I want the Spanish version with the English subtitles. I want to hear Santo's original voice. You know, I don't want to hear a dubbing. I don't want to yeah, hear a, yeah. an English dubbed version. And I guess you know by now what's happening that the, the uh, there's a company that's doing English dubbed versions of the Santo films. They're yes. releasing them now on Blu-ray. So I mean, I you know, and the dubbing is not good. It doesn't it doesn't kind of like match them. I mean, it's synchronized dubbing, but better than the K. Gordon Murray. I got to say that, <laughs> but it's still not quite the same when. You know, say, well, what is Santos voice really like? Or what is, uh, you know, uh, Mauricio Garces, who plays Rudy in this film? What is his voice like? Right, right. Or, or even even the Count Subotai's original voice. What does he sound like? So this is an intrigue thing that the fans, mostly the ones that are really into the actual uh, Spanish versions of these films, they want they rather see them and hear their voices originally, you know? Yeah, yeah. I find um, I like... Both. I, I like, you know, subtitled stuff and I like, you know, watching uh, in English. Um, for me, with the subtitles, it all depends on how tired I am. If it's later in the evening or at night and I want to put a movie on, I may choose not to watch a subtitled one only because I have a hard time paying attention because I'm so tired. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, so Alfonso Blake also did uh, Santo in the Wax Museum, which I saw recently. Yes, he did that one, too. You know, keep in mind that these writers, these these directors and these producers, they crossed over a lot into a lot. Of, they stayed with the subject matter being Lucha Libre or the Mexican horror. So, I mean, uh, this is not a new thing to them. I think I discussed that back when we did the, the Fight Lounge cast. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, I talked about how they 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 crossed over and they did they directed two or three of the films and they wanted to continue doing them. And then uh, they stayed with it. Because they they knew that there was a there was a huge market and back in Mexico at the time I mean these films were shown in theaters but then they went off the circuit and never shown again right. so a lot of the, a lot of the you know it, it was a thing that went out of phase in the seventies and already when when Santo passed away in eighty four I mean after that it was just practically gone you know showing horror films and a lot of these stars were already mostly a lot of them passed, so they were of age, too old, to even do any sequels or any remakes of any of these films. Right. I would have loved to have seen a, a sequel to The Brainiac or a oh, remake, yeah. a good a good one I'm talking about. Yeah. But, you know, that never came to be, you know? But, I mean, because of the fact that, you know, you got the Salazar brothers, they just wanted to do one-shots and keep the, the fans hungry, which is, a, you know, of course, of The Brainiac and El Vampiro being the two main huge films that uh, that left it major impacts on the fans if you know what i mean right it didn't alfredo salazar write the wrestling women versus the aztec mummy yes he did 
Yeah, he did. He wrote that one, and uh, I mean, he 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 did a lot a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a a, a movie, actually a movie that he actually is in and gets killed uh, wow. by none other than a vampire, but not a vampire, <laughs> but a werewolf. Oh, jeez. And that that yet is it's called Riders of the Skull, El Charro de las Calaveras. I don't know. Have you ever seen that? No. Well, you need to watch that one, Roger. Okay. Because Alfredo Salazar, he's like a, a campesino. He's like a farmer. And he's going, walking along the countryside, and here comes this werewolf. The movie the movie is, I don't want to get off the subject matter here too much. That's fine. But the movie, the movie involves uh, a, a Zorro-type character. They call him Enchaco, you know, uh, uh, the writer. And yeah. uh, he's the writer of the skulls because he wears his Zorro outfit. He has a mask. And he's on his horse, and you know he rides the countryside, and he, he battles evil. He, you know he battles uh, supernatural beings. And in this particular movie, the Riders of the Skull, uh, he actually fights a lot of different monsters in this movie. And there was a werewolf, there was a vampire, there was a witch, there was a zombie, there was a headless horseman, there was a head in a box, there was I mean you name it, and it was in this movie. It was a western. And I think I talked about this back at Fright Lounge that Mexico was doing a lot of Western horror films in the late 50s and early 60s right. that were really great. I mean, they're amazing films. And maybe in the future, if you want to get into a cast and do a show on Western horror, I would love to do that. But anyway, um, the, the film Riders of the Skull, Alfredo Zalazar has a guest appearance in it. And I mean, he he oh, he does get kicked off by the vampire. He comes and he bites him and there he is laying on the ground. But that was Alfredo Salazar. He was also in the he wanted to be in the film. So I guess that was his fame to glory, getting killed by a vampire. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. And one of yeah. the one of the other writers on this, because there was three writers, there was and I'm going to forgive me for not being able to pronounce the names correctly, but Ramon Oban was one of them, Alfredo Salazar and Jesus Murcielago Velasquez. Is that correct? Is that how you say it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. That's it. Um, well, basically, I got to tell you, um, you know, when we're talking about the director and the writers, okay, Ramon Obon, believe it or not, okay, Ramon Obon, who was a, a writer and a director up until 19, he passed away in 65, 64. He was born in the early 18, uh, 1900s, 1918, 1917, around there. And uh, he was instrumental in doing a lot of these Western horror films. If you look at the filmography of Ramon Obon, I mean, he did stuff like uh, uh, the uh, La Sombra Vengadora, which is a wrestler. It's called uh, the, the Shadow Avenger. He did 100 Cries of Terror, which is a horror film. Um, he did... A lot of these westerns with the uh, Zorro type characters in them, like for example, uh, the Vengeance of the. Um, oh my God! There's so many of them. Okay, <laughs> he did El Mascarado de Plata, which was the first Santo film from '53. That was a serial. Uh, that was uh, Ramon Obon. I mean, he did the Mil Mascaras, the 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 very first Mil Mascaras movie that came out. He did that one. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, he, he, and then of course he went on to do the uh, uh, the La Loba. La Loba was a the, the, a she wolf movie, which is really good, by the way. And he did a lot of a lot of film. Ramon Obon is no no. Uh, he's been he's been doing films. 
for many, many years. I would say about 40 to 45 years. But a lot of them in the late 50s and in the early 60s were Western horror ones involving mask uh, Western writers. You know, and Mascarado Justiciero was one of them. I mean, I mean, there were so many of them that he, that La Mascara de Hierro, The Man in the Iron Mask, which is a Western version of The Man in the Iron Mask, that also had a vampire in it, believe it or not. Right. So a, a bone was was very creative and wanted to have, you know, uh, he had El Zorro meets the, the, the Indiligent Phantom. You know, his name was the Soro Escalata. I have a few of the films. The Living Coffin, if you remember that one, okay, uh, Ramona Bone was, was also involved with that film. So there was a lot of them. The Vampire's Coffin, a lot of horror movies. You know, his beginning... He started back out in the, I think, in the 30s or in the 40s. And even then, he was doing a lot of dramas. He was doing a lot of comedy. He was doing, but he decided to get into the horror genre after seeing, you know, that the Salazar brothers wanted to get involved. And of course, you know, there was the great legendary Chano Urieta. That's another one that's also involved with uh, a lot of this. But Alfonso Corona Blake is, is the, the three that we talk about here which was Ramon Obon and Alfredo Salazar. I need, I'd say much about Salazar. Um, he, he was born, uh, you know, this guy is amazing because this, him and his brother, I guess this is, since they were very, very young, uh, had, an, had a, a passion for doing horror. I guess maybe they watched the early horror films of the 30s uh, in Mexico, La Llorona and some of these other films that came out in the early 30s and the 40s, and they got the inspiration to wanted to do that. So, but uh, Alfredo and both Abel and Alfredo, what, what uh, uh, they both wrote, they produced, they directed, and they acted in all the in the majority of the films. Wow! Can you believe that? No, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> to have that happen, you know, I mean, I, you know, need I say much? But you mentioned Jesus Murcielago Velasquez, all right? Yes. Now that guy right there, you know, uh, believe it or not, he was born in Hidalgo, Mexico. And uh, he was a writer and actor, and his films were kind of like more dramatic. He did a lot of drama films, more dramatic and kind of romantic films and period films. But then um, his filmography also included doing some of the Santo films. Yeah, you know, he did. He did. I think he did Santo and the Writer of Terror. Yeah, I was. I was going to ask you about that because that sound, I think you mentioned it on Fright Lounge, and that one sounds really good. I want to see that one. So Santo and the Rider of Terrors. Yeah. Versus the Rider. Yeah, that's the Western. Yeah. That's the, it's kind of Santo doing a Western and he doesn't have his cape. He doesn't have his tights, but he does have a typical Western. You know, he has a shirt, a, a plaid shirt, and he walks, he rides around in a horse. And it, it, it's, it's really good. It's about lepers. You know, hmm. it, supposedly lepers, you know, they go and terrorize the countryside. So, yeah. And, uh, uh, he he, uh, uh, Jesus Murcielago Velasquez uh, was involved in directing, producing also that film, and many many other films. I mean, his list goes on. Did you know he did Blue Demon films? He did, yes, he I did saw a, that in his filmography. Yes, yeah, he did some Blue Demon films, and yeah. I mean, uh, too many in a comedy. Oh, he also was involved with the Mexican wrestling women. He did yes. a couple of the uh, Lucha Libre with the female wrestlers. You know the 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 she wolves of the rings and right. the Mexican women wrestling films. Um, there's another there's a film 
that uh, is called El Señor Tormenta, Mr. Storm. Okay, this movie is from 1963. And uh, he was involved with that film, which is basically a great film. And it involves a, a luchador in there. It's called Mr. Storm. He's kind of like a Santo wannabe type of character, Mil Moscatus. But uh, he did this film. And believe it or not, one of the characters in that film, in Señor Tormenta, I got to add, is Mr. Eric Del Castillo, who is the actor in the second film that we're going to be doing, The Empire of Dracula. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, 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 and so on and on and on with, uh, with Jesus Murcielago Velázquez. Now, there's another, I mean, the storyboards was done by, uh, uh, he was a writer, and he did a lot of the storyboards. His name is Raúl Centeno. And he's a writer-director. He did a lot of uh, of the rock. Have you ever heard of the Rocambole series? No. In the 60s. Okay, the, I'm going to add on to that here. <laughs> the, Roca, the Rocambole series is actually, if you remember back in the 50s, they used to have uh, the serials of the 50s. You know, the chapter serial plays of the right. 50s. Uh, I don't know if you heard of a serial called the Spy Smasher. Yes, I have. You have? Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it? Uh, a long time ago. It's been a while. I don't really remember. Okay. Well, the the um, uh, the movie Rocambole is actually taken from... It's, it's, it's a spy smatter type serial. Not a serial, but movies. Uh, there was three films made, and Rocambole looks like Spy Smasher, but he wears a cape and he wears a mask. And he's going around destroying, uh, catching spies and... It's more likely, it's not horror, but it's more likely like a, like an adventure, action-adventure spy type thing. And Raul Santeño, he directed and he was behind the, doing the uh, Rocambole series, which only led to three films. It's sad that they didn't continue like the Neutron series or any of the Santo films. Right. But they would have been pretty good because, I mean, a lot of people don't know about Rocambole. So, I mean, uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there on that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's jump into the cast a little bit here. And then, Juan, you can give us your expertise on everyone. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, so Guillermo, Mar Guillermo Murray played uh, Sabotai. And isn't that Bill Murray in Spanish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Kind of, kind of. It's Guillermo Murray. In, in, in Spanish, is Murray. Murray, okay. Murai, yeah, Guillermo Murai. Guillermo is Guillermo, Guillermo Murai. Uh, and it is Bill, you know, it's Bill Murray. It is. Bill. It's kind of like funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> I mean, because the, the man, I tell you what, he, 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 he's, uh, he's quite, a, quite an actor. You know, he was. Believe it or not, he was not, he's not Mexican. He wasn't Mexican. Guillermo Murai was Argentinian. Oh, wow. He, was, uh, he came from a descendant Argentinian family from Argentina. And he was born in the, in the city of Cologne, Argentina, back in the 20s. So, you know, he, he became an actor and he was a writer and he was, he was known. I mean, he did a lot of stuff, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s. He went all the way at acting into the 90s, believe it or not. And he just recently passed away. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo Murai died about a year ago. Yeah, year last and year. And he was 93 years old. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. <laughs> I mean, I tell you, I got the opportunity, and I want to add to this, and we're talking about the cast a little bit, um, that I have the opportunity to meet Herman Robles in person. I mean, Herman Robles, who was El Vampiro, came to the Monster Bash 
I don't know how Ron did it. He was able to get him to come to the Monster Bash. And it would have been awesome if they would have had maybe not just Robles, but would have invited a couple of other, like Guillermo Murai, right. or invited a couple of other actors. But at the time when, when Herman Robles was very frail, um, you know, he passed. Uh, Murai was in his late 80s, you know, or, you know, already. So he couldn't travel, maybe. Because I did mention to Ron trying to get some other uh, actors from the films back in the 50s, besides Robles, get one or two more. But he, I've been trying to get Lorena Velasquez to come to the Monster Bash, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, Lorena Velasquez, uh, you know, and uh, she was the vampire woman in Santo versus the, the Queen. Right. And, uh, and uh, we, for the, you know, I mean, Ron Adams really wanted to have her, but she's a tough, tough the person to get. She's got contracts in Mexico, and she's still doing soap operas to this day in Mexico. Wow. So you see a lot of these actors... And I got to say, you know, um, Guillermo Murai, he went on to do stuff, but he didn't, he, there was a time and a period in his life when he just, he just, he just stopped. I mean, because, you know, he had a family man, he was married, but he did stuff up all the way up until I think the early 2000s, 2010, 11, and he was still doing films. So he was very active in the, uh, in the circuit doing a lot of, a lot of soap operas. I mean, a lot. He did. If you look in Mexican soap operas, you see him in tremendously throughout the 80s and throughout the 90s. He went on to do a lot of a lot of soap operas. And he's a very f- familiar face. You know, like like Days of Our, La- Our Lives, you know, you get to see the character for 15 or 16 years. There's Guillermo Murai and all these different soap operas. And there he is, you know. <laughs> he, he became a character actor in soaps after he got out of doing uh, 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 the films. And what led from his monster, you know, doing horror films, led on to do Western films, because he he loved Westerns and he wanted to have a career doing Western films, so he started doing those. And he also, believe it or not, he did he did religious films too. Huh. He did he did a few religious films. You know, he did The Life of, uh, of Jesus Christ uh, in 1980, and then he did The, the Nativity, in 2011, I think it was. Wow. And before that, yeah, he did quite a few uh, uh, biblical films. He had a fascination to do biblical films besides being a vampire, of course. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, uh, his career, you know, he's got an amazing filmography. And I got to say, it goes many, many years. Every year he was very active. One, Some years he would be doing five and six and seven films in one year, believe wow. it or not. He was nonstop, uh, and I, I guess his, 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 the, the horror films came to an end. I think in the late sixties, or in the, after he did this film, he did a couple of other films, and that was pretty much the the end of it. But he enjoyed doing uh, the two films that he liked to do. I mean, he did. I want to mention these two films: the Gigantic Planetariums, which is a, a science fiction film that he did that led to the follow-up of the planet of the female invaders hmm. which was lorena velasquez in 1966. so those two films guillermo morai was very instrumental in doing those he, he liked it the gigantic planetariums was a uh, it, it, it has ufos it has uh, space it has astronauts it has planets 
And it's a pretty good movie, actually, you know? Yeah. And of course, the planet of the female invaders, it's a typical story of the ship of monsters type movie where you got these uh, women, female invaders that come to Earth that want to populate the Earth with the women and take over the men, get the men. <laughs> and uh, I guess the same plot line like they did for the ship of monsters, oh, you know? <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, it is. So, I mean, uh, uh, more I... I I think Moray, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the film too, one of the Neutron films. He was in the movie Neutron Traps the Invisible Killers. Okay. And it was the final film that Neutron did. Uh, it wasn't the credited per se film, but his character was, he had a different outfit, a different mask, and he wore a cape. And uh, it, it's called Neutron Traps the Invisible Killers. I have that in the collection of the Neutron with the two films, the last films that he did. Versus the Karate Killers and the Invisible Killers, so Guillermo Morai is in that film along with Herman Robles. Believe it or not, huh? Wow, you know. So uh, and 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 again, you know, uh, Murray he did a couple of vampire films because he did this one, and then he went on to do Los Murciélagos, which was the vampires in '64, and uh, I, I guess his character as a vampire. He did another movie called La Huella Macabre, which was the the uh, um, uh, the hideous face. And uh, he was like he came back from the dead. He was like a zombie type character with a hideous face. And he would he would he would uh, seek women and get their blood to keep it, get eternal youth. He would drink. He was like a vampire, but he wasn't a vampire where he sucked the blood out of the way. Right. He would drink it uh, and he would keep his eternal youth. Similar to like um, the other movie that, that was there, the La Marca de la Muerte, The Mark of Death. So Maury was in that one in 63, which was a couple of years after he did this one. And then after that, he went on to do all the other stuff. But he wasn't really in huge, a lot of horror films. He did only the few, you know, just to get that credit in there. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one thing you mentioned, the origin of the name Subotai. Um, when I looked it up, uh, I came up with um, that was the name of uh, Genghis Khan's chief strategist, too. Yeah. So, so I wonder if there's a connection there. You know, he's a long-lived vampire. Maybe he he did work for Genghis that, Khan. That, 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 that could be a good possibility to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, keep in mind that these, these are, of course, you know, you got an excellent cast of producers, writers, and the director that, you know, three minds always work better than one. Right. So they figure, well, you know, we'll do the research on this and maybe we can tie it in with an actual historical character. So maybe, yeah, that, that's a good point there. Maybe it is a tie into, you know, the Genghis Khan clan back in the 16th, 17th century, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so moving on, um, and uh, again, Juan, forgive me if I butcher some of these names. Uh, Maurizio Garce Garces played Rudolph? It, 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 yeah, no, it, Mauricio Garces. Mauricio Garces. Okay. Yeah, Mauricio Garces is his name, and he is not a he's not a stranger to films. He's also a very known character actor. He you see him in uh, of course he he already passed. He passed away I think in eighty nine, eighty eight. Yeah. And uh, but he was born in the twenties, and he's another one that uh, uh, born in 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 Mexico. He's Mexican, and uh, I got to tell you, his character for a lot of the movies that he did, but one of the most renowned films that he was known for, besides The Brainiac, because he was in The Brainiac, was yeah. a movie called Don Juan. 
1967. Yeah, I have okay. that in my notes here. Huh? I have that written in my notes here. Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, you know, Don Juan and Mauricio Garcés. You know, he was a he was a stage man. He did theater. He did so many things. You know, before he went into films, and I guess he passed away in the the Distrito Federal, the Distrito Federal in Mexico. Hmm. But um, he he went on to do stuff all the way until the eighties. I would have to say I don't know. I don't think he didn't make it to the nineties, but. I mean, he went up into the doing stuff in the 80s. And uh, but I'll, he, he did tons and tons of comedy. Now, this is a guy that liked to do the sexy comedy movies. Right. In Mexico, they call him Picardia. They call him Picardia films, where it's like sexy, uh, sexy comedies where they show a little bit of breasts. They show, you know, they don't they don't really get into actual doing, you know, sex, but. They do show, you know, breasts, but he loved to do those films. And he was always that Mr. Playboy character in all these movies. And and they were comedies, but they were like calling picardias, you know, because they were like sexy comedies. And uh, (laughs) he did a lot of those. And people kind of like took it, took to liking him for those than any, any other stuff that he did, because there was one that he did call in Modisto de Señoras. In 69 and that was that was hilarious it was a funny film you know he was trying to hit on all these these babes these women but he didn't want one he wanted all of them so he was i don't know if you remember a movie called with jerry lewis okay that he tried to play different characters oh yeah uh, and, yeah and he was always trying to trying to get different women and he was already involved with one woman but he wanted to get them all right but he played different character actors forgot the name of the movie but anyway um, uh, he, in this movie, Modisto de Señoras, Mauricio Garcés was the same character, and it was really funny because I mean, he besides being the serious side of him, and you see him in this movie, he was pretty darn serious. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he kind of resembled Clark Gable, I thought. Ah, uh, yeah. So they say he had that 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 that, that look, that real uh, how do you call it, that appearance. Yeah, that he would did resemble Gable in many ways. Not to confuse him with Gable, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the Garces was instrumental in horror films, actually, because the, the you know the the Salazar brothers and and the other directors and writers wanted him to go on to do a couple more because he was really good. I mean, he was good in this film, and then from this movie led on to do the Brainiac. It was the next one that followed up where he came back. Uh, he was a forensic surgeon in the in the Brainiac, if you remember. Yeah, and uh, he went on to do that before the Brainiac. He did a couple of films. One of them called it Hinete Negro, which was the uh, the Black Rider. He did, he loved to do westerns too, and he did a lot of westerns. Hmm. Um, and so basically, his career spans. Oh my God! I mean, Allah. He was in the movie La Llorona. Are you familiar with the the 1960 version of La Llorona? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that movie right there, Mariso Garcés was also in that film of La Llorona from 1960. Oh, okay? wow. Okay. Yeah, he was one of the counts in the film. I think his name was Felipe or something like that. But he he, he just, and then after that, he did, he went back and forth. Garcés crossed over so many times between films. He didn't do two or three or four. He did one horror, one western, one romance, one comedy, like that. He was like flipping back and forth. But he was really pretty well known. 
you know, he did a, a Western movie called Apache Vengeance huh. right after he did La Llorona. And it was a real good Western, man, with, with the Apaches and Indians and cowboys. And he was a, a, a cool cowboy in that, you know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So Mauricio Garcés is, is, is a very well-known uh, actor throughout the years of his life. And, uh, I mean, you got to credit the guy because he started back. I mean, he started way back. I think he started in the ninth, early 50s. You know, he did start it in the early 50s. And nice. uh, he went on to do many, many films. And he's, he's well-known in Mexico. He did comedy with Resoltes. And he did a lot of, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pica Pica films, the Picardia movies, the sexy comedies. He was with Clavi Jasso. Uh, he did a movie with Clavi Jasso, which was the Castle of Monsters, hmm. from the, cast, the, the comedian that was in the Castle of Monsters uh, called El Joven de Carrito. The man with the, the 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 little car, I think it was from fifty eight or fifty nine. So you see, he crossed over, Garcés crossed over tremendously into into many many different genres of films. So he he was a very very well known actor and very well liked it in uh, in Mexico for his films. Nice. And um, just as a side note here, I think wasn't uh, the Family Jewels the Jerry Lewis movie you were thinking of? That's the one. Yeah. It took me a while for it to come to me. Yeah, that's the one. Right. Uh huh. He played like what, six or seven characters in that? Yeah, he played about seven different characters of trying to romance all these women, you know, yeah. and his girlfriend who was a psychiatrist, you know, he said, well, you know, let me disguise myself as this guy, that guy, a cowboy. Right. You know, he was even a cowboy. <laughs> But it was very funny. And uh, Mauricio Garcet did the same thing in Modisto de Señoras. It was the same exact thing that he did, trying to hit on all these women. But he had to change his disguise and, and play different roles to try to get to them, you know? Right, right. Um, so just want to wrap up the cast here a little bit. I did want to mention that Erna Martha Bauman played the character Martha. And, and as you mentioned, uh, the movie La, La Girona in 1960, she was in that. And she was also in Invasion of the Vampires in 63. Um, what can you tell us about her? Okay. Uh, she was actually Leonor in this film. Oh, okay. I, for, yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. Know, I got this off of Wikipedia, so it's wrong. Yeah, no, it, it, Bauman was Leonor. She okay. was the one that got convinced and she decided to go with the Council Batai and, and be his uh, vampire queen, Okay, I guess, right, yeah. Know? Yeah, you know. So yeah, she actually, I mean, Erna Martha Bauman is, is uh, she was born in Mexico and she was uh, an actress that was known for basically, oh, she was in La Llorona. Yeah. She was also in the movie of the La Llorona from 1960. But um, where she came into play, you know, besides doing this, she did a lot of, uh, wanted to do quite a few vampire films. She, she was one that was uncredited called The Vampire Hookers from 78. And then she did some comedy with uh, Viruta and Capolina, you know, in the early 70s. Okay. But uh, uh, she did another, she did a film with Viruta and Capolina, which is two comedians. They're the Mexican versions of Babbitt and Costello. Okay. okay. <laughs> These two guys called Viruta and Capolina. And uh, she did quite a few films with them because I guess she liked comedy. And, uh, you know, she, besides this film, I mean, she was really, The Invasion of the Vampires was the other film where she, she was actually one of the Frankenhausen uh, family clans, Bruhilda, hmm. you know, Yeah. In, in the invasion of the va and the vampires. And then she was also in the Bloody Vampire. The, 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 the original 
those are two vampire films that I didn't talk about that I thought I was going to do instead of doing these two. I was going to do the Bloody Vampire and the Invasion of the Vampires. But they're because they're sequel, one led to a sequel, it would be like almost like one film, the continuation into the other. Right, so I right. wanted to have two different films all together, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That's the reason why I didn't do the uh, the Bloody Vampire and the Invasion of the Vampires. But Erna Maltha, Erna Maltha, Erna Maltha, uh, about, she was with both Vampire, the Bloody Vampire, and the Invasion of the Vampires, which came out in, uh, in 62 and 63. Nice. So she followed this movie, led on to the Bloody Vampire, and then into the Invasion of the Vampires. So, and then before this, of course, was La Llorona, and, and then after that, she was also in quite a, quite a few films in the 1950s, you know. Uh, she did about three or four films in the 50s, the early 50s. Did you know, I got to tell you, that she was also Mixed Mexico Universe from 1956. Oh, wow. Follow, followed by 1957, Lorena Velasquez, huh. who was, she was Mixed Mexico in 1957, and Erna Martha was Mixed Mexico in 1956. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, actually, she became the semi-finalist, but I mean, uh, she was a she was a beautiful woman. Let me tell you. I, I was mean, just going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, 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 what do you want to say about if you if you want anything about the uh, the rest of the cast here? Um. Well, maybe. Let me see. I, We've I'm, got I'm Sylvia looking... Fournier, Alfredo Baron, Jose Baviera. Um, I would like to talk about Baviera, Jose Baviera. Because Jose Baviera, man, this guy, he he played Mr. Coleman. Yes. He was the guy, you know, he was, uh, and Baviera, like many, many, many actors that, you know, in Mexico, that you think they're Mexican, they're really not. They come from different countries internationally. Argentina, uh, Spain, Portugal, Brazil, and they they go to Mexico because that's where they they make it big. But, I mean, Jose Baviera was actually a, a Spanish gentleman that was is born in Spain. And he's Spanish descent. He's from Valencia. And uh, his main role, you got to watch a movie that he's really known for, was actually a film that was done here, an American film. Um, it's called The Exterminating Angel. Huh. I don't know if you're familiar with that film. I've heard the title. Have you, have you heard of it? I, I've heard the title, yeah. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, you have to see that film. The Exterminating Angel, Jose Baviera was kind of like the lead in the film to bring the guest to the mansion. It's a really creepy film, man. And you know what? <laughs> I got to say one thing. That movie got a uh, Criterion release. Oh, wow. It did get a Criterion official release, uh, The Exterminating Angel. And this happens to be one of Luis Buñuel, Buñuel's films. You know, Buñuel, The uh, Exterminating, Exterminating Angel. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a fantasy drama, and uh, basically Baviera was like one of the main guests at this real upper dinner class party that they mysteriously find themselves unable to leave that room that they're in where they're having the dinner. They can't get out of the room. They're stuck in that room for like three or four days, and Baviera oh, wow. is trying to yeah, and Baviera is 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 trying to tell them oh no there is a way out. They got trapped in that room. And all kinds of strange things happen. I mean, it's like, wow. It is kind of a very bizarre <laughs> film. But Baviera is very, very good in it. So 
I'm going to recommend The Exterminating Angel. If you haven't seen it, look that one up. I think you'll enjoy that. That is a Mexican film, by the way. Okay. But uh, it, ha it has English it has English dubbing, and it has the uh, the subtitle to that one, too. And was um, that, that was in the 70s? Or was no, it? The, Exterminate, the Exterminating Angel was in 1962. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, I definitely recommend that. If you want to see uh, Leandro Gomez is the guy. He's like the lead character in the film with the guest, you know, in that dinner party. And you get to see Baviera in action there. He's very, very good actor. Very, very good actor. Um, one of the other films that I wanted to talk real, real quick about him. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, you see a lot of these older character actors in the 60s. They're already pretty old. But, you know, if you look at him back in the 50s and even in the 40s, because Baviera was, he started his filmography in the 40s. Jose Baviera was, was an incredible actor. Uh, I, I got to hand it to him. This gentleman was actually in films in the silent era. I said the 30s, but he did go back to the 20s. He was doing silent films in the early 20s in Mexico, which was unknown, of course, unknown here uh, in theater. He was doing films. In 1924, he started out, and he went up until the 19... He did quite a few films up until 1927, 28. Wow. And then he, he... Yeah, in silent films. So there you go with him. And then he started doing his first talkies early on, and he went all the way through the 30s. Uh, he did interesting films in the 30s. He did a lot of romances. He did some dramas. And in 1942, he started doing more uh, period films. He was doing uh, historical films. Biblical films. One of the ones that he did was Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, of course, the topic of Jesus was huge in Mexico. Back in the 50s, they did during the uh, Easter. There was a huge amount of uh, uh, Easter films that were religious films that were done, you know, in black and white in the 50s. And they always picked the topic of Jesus in the film. So Baviera was actually in Jesus of Nazareth in 1942. And then he did some Westerns. And... He did a couple of, he started doing a lot of Westerns because he, he was always the typical ranchero, you know, the, the, he was like the Hacienda master in these films. And he had the beautiful daughters that they always try to hit on him and they would have to have his permission to get to, to, to you know, how do you call it? To, uh, to go out with the daughters and right. so forth. So, but anyway, and then he went on to do some dramas and did some, uh, so actually he did some, some police films too. You know, in in the forties, in the late forties, he 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 kept he did a movie that I really enjoyed called La Barraca, and uh, it was from nineteen forty five, and it's like a pirate film. Oh wow! I don't know if you ever heard of that or no. not, but yeah, they actually released it on Blu Ray with English subtitles and an English dub version. Believe it or not, wow. it's called La La Barraca, the the barracks, but it's actually it's a it's a pirate film, and. Um, so and then he went on and you know to do a lot of a lot of stuff. But one of my favorite films that he did, which also I have the Blu-ray of it, it's an awesome film with Jose Baviera, is called La Otra, the Other, which is the uh, the Mexican version of Betty Davis's Dead Ringer. Oh, okay. you remember the movie? Remember Dead Ringer? Yeah. Well, La Otra happens to be the Mexican version of that with Dolores Del Rio. Okay, and. Uh, she plays the dual role as identical twins. And, and, you know, it's very, very similar to Dead Ringers with Betty Davis. And Baviera has a lead role in that one, too. I, I recommend that one, La Otra, which is another one that he did. 
Uh, and, and I mean, there's so many. You could only hit so many. He did a couple of Western. Uh, he did some Western uh, Zorro type films. Wow. He did the black. He did the Black Whip. Uh, that was one of my favorites too. Uh, the Black Whip, 1964, 63, and he did a couple of other ones that were like Zorro type films. Always playing the big hacienda master. Hmm. He was always the rancher, and he was the like the lead rancher, you know. And <laughs> he had like a lot of influence, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah, that I just wanted to just add a you know a little bit about him because he was he's got an extensive. He's got over 200 titles to his credit in filmography, believe it or not. Wow. 200 films. And, uh, you know, he passed away in the 80s, early 80s or the mid 80s. I don't know. I, I know. But but he was he was such a great, great character, you know. And yeah, and that pretty much, you know, wraps up the cast here, the the uh, the cast of uh, actors. A lot of these other ones were like basically party guests and people that, that really they were like extras in the film. Right. They really didn't have any. Uh, speaking parts so the main characters i mean the, the there was only the three or the four main ones of course that we covered so that's it for the cast of uh el mundo de los vampiros interesting yeah and so like getting into the film a little bit too it um I love the opening. I love the way he's, first of all, he's very much like Dracula, even though he doesn't have Dracula's name, but he, you know, it opens with him coming out of the coffin and you've got the traditional dark and scary castle heads right over to his organ, which is made of skulls and bones. And it was just a great way to open the film, you know? <laughs> exactly. So basically the theme with that is, you know, you, 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 you there's a premise where he's, he's got to go and he's going to, he goes to the organ. I guess he's number one. He wakes up all his undead beings, his his, his slaves, the 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 vampire women, the the creature, the vampire men. That that's like a a, a wake up call for them. To wake up, come reunite. But the thing about it is that I got off of that is because when he was playing the organ back to me back in the time of his ancestors. The original Subotais back in the 16th or 17th century were, you know, were musicians. They were a family of musicians, and they played the organ-type instruments and pianos. And this is what he he developed the passion for that. So, I mean, if you do further further research into that, this is basically where you find out why does he play the organ? You see what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's another there's another <laughs> there's another film where it's a luchador. Believe it or not, that does the same thing as uh, Count Subotai in this film, and he goes to play an organ, huh. and it's called it's called the Shadow of the Bat. It's the Blue Demon. Okay, one. yeah. So if you watch the Shadow of the Bat, there's you know <laughs> he's in a cave, and then he goes to play an organ. The same thing. He has that same thing about music. Well, I got to play an organ, and then he starts wrestling. <laughs> he has these guys wrestle with him in the cave. It's really funny, but that's the Blue Demon film. If you haven't seen it, check that one out. It's called Shadow of the Bat. Yeah, I, I so, saw that on one of the writer's credits, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jesus wrote that, Shadow of the Bat. Uh-huh. Jesus <laughs> Sotomayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, it, the idea, you know, also, too, you got to look at it this way. The directors and the writers and the producers of this particular film, they wanted to add a little bit of that that feel, that genre of the old, again, universal horror films. This minds you that 
who was another character that 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 played the organ back in the silent film you know it was the phantom of the opera if you remember right. yeah so i mean they that the, the the idea of having the a, a you know a creature of the undead start off that way to play a maybe he's tributing his his ancestors but it's also it's a wake up call to have his minions wake up and gather with him so he can let them know what his plans are to do what what he wants to do but there's a good side and a bad side to that you know <laughs> yeah well and that also to, to me you know looking back on it that kind of ties in with rudolph's whole thing about how music can affect people and animals and you know he was basically summoning you know uh, super tai was summoning his minions using exactly. the music from the organ you know mm-hmm so you got to you got to figure that Rodolfo, you know, the how did he know or what what was the musical? Again, this movie is really strange to the point that there was no stakes involved. Okay, there was no 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 uh, no garlic, no n- none of this stuff. The typical uh, uh, crosses that they use for for vampires uh, and sunlight. Though there is a scene in the film where sunlight does come into play a little bit. But it doesn't destroy the vampire, you know. They just pull the shades, and that's it, you know. Right. But I mean, uh, 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 how do you call it? That opening sequence is amazing. You know, the first ten minutes of the film, and uh, you know, he basically there's just that going on, and all his minions come out, and of course, I mentioned the beautiful women that that come out. All his <laughs> vampire women clan are are gorgeous, sexy looking vampires, and you keep in mind. Vampire women, Mexican vampire women of all these films have to look pretty and they have to be bosom. They have to have big breasts, if you know what I mean. Look at the Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Right. That's another good example. Okay. So, I mean, uh, but the men, nah, they could be hideous creatures. They could look like bats. They could look like werewolves. They could look like anything else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought it would, well, first of all, I wanted to mention that the um the, the humanoid bat creatures that he turns the men into, I I know I've seen them somewhere before. I don't know if it was like maybe pictures in, in um, Famous Monsters or something, or I did see this as a kid. Um, so that, that kind of stuck in the back of my head. But one thing I thought was kind of interesting was he had these really long fangs, but when he... The, you know, he stops that couple that are driving down the road at the very beginning of the movie, and he yes. goes to bite the woman. His teeth look like they retracted, so he could actually open his mouth wide enough to bite her. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, well, basically, there's got to be a plot to that. You know, he's not going to really sink fangs into the actual person's neck. You know, I mean, it was all part of the, you know, the special effects and the props they used. You know, they might have been retractable fangs where when he went to go on and you see him going down, but you never see the fangs himself sticking into the skin. Right, but right. You know what I mean? You see he covers his mouth over the neck, but, you know, you, you would think by now, oh, the fangs are already in there. But no, you're, you're right. I mean, uh, or they would pull the, the other thing was to pull the cape over them so they wouldn't see the, you know, exactly. him sucking on the neck. Bite, yeah. Biting, in other words. I mean, his teeth but, were so long, there's no way he could have opened his mouth wide enough to bite. <laughs> to bite her no, neck. No, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, I got to tell you, there's a film, and I want to just add on a little bit to this here. There's a uh, a Turkish film. It's actually the Turkish version of Dracula. It's called Dracula in Istanbul. Huh. It's from 1950, I think 53 or 54. It's a black and white version of the the Bela Lugosi Dracula. 
1931, the universe. And that movie right there, Dracula in Istanbul, the Turkish Dracula, Yeah. that vampire that has the same wolf-like fangs like Guillermo Murray, like Council Subotai had in this film. Oh, okay. Very long, protruding fangs. They're sticking way down, you know, outside of his mouth, down the bottom of the lips. It's a wow. He looks more like a like a werewolf, more than a a, a vampire. But the, the the idea, you know, that Herman Robles and Vampiro had the same thing, but his teeth didn't protrude, protrude that far down. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's interesting. What I didn't understand yeah. though was, and and I maybe um maybe you can explain this. So he bites the chick. You know, there's the couple that he stops him from driving and he bites her. And somehow it gives her the power to see through all of space and time. I didn't quite get that. <laughs> well, there was a process to that. Basically, what happens was, if you know, it was a ceremonial thing. It was a ceremonial thing where the women would bring out the woman. They would lay her on the table. And he, yeah. had, this he had this dagger. Right. Okay. The dagger was part of the ceremony to complete the process of turning the woman into a vampire. So basically, uh, he would actually bite the woman first, and he went down, he'd bite him, and then after he bites him, you can see the marks, and then he used the ceremony, the dagger to complete the actual transformation. In other oh, okay. words, his his bite wasn't actually making them into a full vampire yet. They needed to go to the second process of the transformation, which was the, the ceremonial dagger that he used to stab them in the neck, protrude the blood and interact the blood with his bite mark the blood from that and therefore he would say rise and you see everything heals right. the marks go away the blood goes away, and now she's a vampire where right. she has the, you know she protrudes her fangs and she can become a bat you know a rubber bat if you know what i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that rubber bat man it's amazing but anyway yeah that's how it's done that's how they did the concept with that of, of, of transforming Subotai, transforming his women, the women into vampires. That's how he did it. It was a two-step process. Right. In other words, just him biting on them alone wouldn't do it. He needed the dagger to complete the ceremony. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was wondering, I'm like, if he's passing on his vampire power, wouldn't he have the power to see through time and space? But he probably, when he became a vampire, he didn't ha get stabbed by the magical knife there. Mm, probably not. Yeah. Remember, we don't, we don't. They didn't do a, a prologue of him back in the 16th or 17th century right. when his ancestors, when he was alive. You know what? What? How did he become a vampire? What led for him to become? What was there a ceremonial thing with dagger involved? There's a, apparently there's a dagger involved. So was his great ancestor, his father, his great grandfather, uh, get stabbed by a dagger and things like that? We don't know this, but you have to kind of like presume. You have to, you know, create it in your mind, the story. What's with the dagger, if you know what I mean? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, just mo moving through the story here, you know, Rudolfo shows up at the party and then, you know, there's a party going on. I think it was it Coleman that was hosting the party. Yes, it was Mr. Coleman. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It, it was him, you know, and uh, it was a bunch of guests and it was like a, I guess it was a traditional party they have every year to celebrate something you know i mean there's right. a celebration maybe music because the party involved with uh, rodolfo coming being there he was like the highlight of the party and i guess you know his introduction to rodolfo and he, i guess rodolfo is a pianist right you know he, he's, he's a concert man he plays music musical pieces classical musical pieces and 
he enchants people like that, you know, I mean, uh, uh, by playing his musical pieces and people get mesmerized. So at the party, you know, he, you know, Mr. Coleman says, I'd like to introduce Rodolfo. He's going to play a number for you. And he starts playing and everything. So basically everybody's looking and say, wow, that is an enchanting piece. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's where the character of him comes into play. And I guess he's, he's been doing this traditionally, comes to the party and, and does musical numbers on the piano for his guests to kind of like, you know, say, wow, that's really beautiful. Right. But this time around, he was showing them how his music can affect people. Because I think the like the first piece he plays causes a dog in the distance to start barking. And then... Right. And then, you know, he, he's playing one and uh, what's his name? Uh, Subutai shows up and it repels him. And uh, that led to a great scene, which I, I really loved. Like, well, first of all, the girl at the party sees she looks in the mirror on the wall and sees that Subutai doesn't have a reflection. Exactly. And then there's, I think it was her. Was it her later on? Like while the party's still going on. She's sleeping, and a vampire comes into the room, one of the, the vampire creatures. But Rudolfo's playing away on the piano, and the music he uses not only repels Subutai, but the vampire in the other room, which I thought was great, because they had no idea that that had happened. <laughs> exactly. So basically what it is, I mean, it's not that he presents that there was creatures or maybe there was demonic forces at play, but maybe the way he struck the keys on the piano, certain tones, upper tones, lower tones, high notes, lower notes, you know, triggered uh, uh, something that's screeching that, that these creatures couldn't, couldn't hear. It would affect them. Right. It would affect their brain. It would affect them. It would, it, it was, it was, a, it was like a, a hideous thing. It was almost like a, a poison to them that would destroy them and kill them if they keep hearing that. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You know, while that creature, that, that male creature vampire, was trying to go in there and and get to uh, one of the one of Coleman's nieces. Uh, yeah, you know, Rodolfo was playing away, and he didn't know he was actually saving the girl in the room. Right, know, because <laughs> hit the creature. He, he played the notes to the right tune, and I guess this is where you know when Subutai was there, uh, you know, and he's talking, and he said, "Well, this is a this is a a, a note that I mem mesmerized," and he started playing that particular hideous note that Subutai couldn't stand. And you can see, you know, the, the agony in his face and he's trying to, oh, and it's trying to hurt him. And, you know, he's like to the point where, oh, I got to get away from here. So basically that was letting you know, okay, now Rodolfo has the secret and he has the, the, the notes, the right notes that he has to hit to actually destroy, to affect, to repel the demonic demon that Subatai was as a vampire. Right. So, yeah. And I said, wow. That's really interesting because I didn't think of, I never would have thought of music having to have an influence on a vampire. And that's one of the things that I think makes this movie kind of special is because no other film has ever done that as far as I can No, think. no, this is the only one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and the, so the chick was, Lenore, she's, she becomes the vampire. And yes. She can teleport, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing because she could teleport. She could be coming to a giant rubber bat, fly yeah. away. And even <laughs> there's a scene in the film where she actually becomes a bat and she's hovering over the window and her head is on the bat. Right. It, did that remind you of that Three Stooges short called Spooks? Y yes, it yeah, did. <laughs> where it had Shemp's head on the bat. <laughs> 
that was funny. But I mean, yeah, Lenore got mesmerized by the count, and I guess you know she was the one that let him out of the party, out of the, out of the out of the room, and you know was gonna you know take you know walk with him to his carriage or whatever. And he in the garden, you know, he kind of like overtook her, and he hypnotized her, and he says, "I want you to become one of join me and become one of the undead." And I guess she fell for it. She said, "Well, you know what? I think uh, this this might be a good thing." So uh, yes, I'll do it. I'll become one of your women, one of your vampires. And he started to to bite her because, again, the process was he was going to bite her, but he wasn't going to turn her into a full vampire yet because she had to go through the ceremony. Remember the ceremony with the dagger? She needed to go through that. So, But he didn't get to bite her. And then because uh, Mr. Coleman came out, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Mr. Bavier came out and started hollering for her. And, you know, Lenore, Lenore. And then he kind of like, boom, he vanished. Right. So he left it at that, but then he came back to do the job, and she, you know, she actually wanted to be one of his minions. Yes. So I mean, to the point where you have to volunteer yourself. You know how you can see if you you force yourself not to be, and you say no, you really can't. You know, the vampire can't force you to. You voluntarily do it, then you fall into his grasp mentally. The hypnotism. So this is the part where you know he finally comes back for her, and he's in his in his in his in his uh in his coven, and he's calling her via mental you know telepathy. Come right. come come come. She gets up and goes through the forest, runs over there to him, and boom, you know it happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they also had a hunchback character in this, which I thought was I thought he was very scary. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was the Igor. Uh, yeah, know, basically he was. <laughs> He was the Igor of the film, yeah. Which actually, you know, he he went on to, he went on to, uh, 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 how do you call it? Uh, to to become, he was his servant. All right, yeah. his name was Alfredo Wally Baron, and Alfredo Wally Baron was also in a few other Santo Blue Demon in the Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman. Oh wow! He he was a hunchback character in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just watched that recently too. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. He he was also a hunchback character in that. But he, he's a very well he was a very known actor for doing those type of roles, playing the role of a Igor, a hunchback, or one of the servants, you know, of the creatures of the of the dead of the night. So uh that was Alfredo Wally Baron, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean yeah, so. he has a long fight scene with him and there's a lot of great fight scenes in this. Um, oh yeah, there is. I mean, uh, oh God, many, many, many fight scenes. But, but I mean, no, you go were ahead. saying no. Go ahead. No, but the the thing about it is, he's trying to, you know, he's he's trying to be the loyal servant of Count Subotai. Right. So when you know, he's trying to get to get the woman, get the woman, get the he wanted to get the other niece to remember. They was trying yes. to try to get the other niece to convert because if he would have got the two, he got Lenore. If he would have got the uh, uh, the other niece. That would have completed the transformation, and upon him killing uh, Mr. Coleman Bavier, then that the 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 the, uh, the how do you call it? The mission would have been completed. Right. Where he mentioned that, yeah, he would have mentioned that now we can continue to be to make a world full of vampires. Right. Thus, the name of the movie, the world of the vampires, because that's what that was his mission. His goal was to kill the last surviving ancestors. Then nobody would be able to stop him. On 
converting everybody into vampires, if you know what I mean. Right. And that's the thing. You know, he says that. He said he wanted to destroy humanity and create a world of immortals. But I think that's kind of stupid if you're a vampire, because if you turn everybody into a vampire, you have no more food supply. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's, a, that's a good that's a good point there you're right <laughs> you know that made me think of i don't know if you ever saw that movie daybreakers with ethan hawk yes i did yeah <laughs> so the vampires basically realized oops we we bit too many people so they had to like treat the humans like cattle so they could make sure that they had blood you know i know yeah it, it's amazing but maybe not the entire world but i say the majority of them when they begin you have to keep some humans alive to feed off you have to have food right so, i mean if you do the entire conversion i guess you don't your your food supply chain is gone so right. you who do you feed on you don't feed among each other the vampires don't feed among each other you know yeah because they're already dead i guess megalomaniacs don't think about that sort of thing so not really <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's so many good fight scenes and then rudy knocks out the um the hunchback and he he goes, he finds like a, what looks like a jail cell. And inside the jail cell, there's this um, trap door on the floor that he opens up and it leads to a whole underground lair. And I was thinking, why would you put that in the jail cell? Like if you locked someone in there for whatever reason, they would just escape through the, through the trap door, you know? <laughs> I know. But really, they're not escaping. What it is, is that, that trap door is leading in further deep into the cave to where the minions and all the other vampires are. That's so you're true. really, it's, yeah. not, it's not an escape ride. It's just a way of going down into the caves to where all the other clan members and all the vampires and all the creatures of the undead are there. Yeah. So you really, yeah. there's no escaping from that. Once you go down there, you meet up with them. You're, you're done. You know, your history. But I mean, it's not like a, there's a there's a cave and you they find an exit. And, oh, here I am. And you're out. You know, no. But you got a good point. Why put the, why put the, uh, the trap door inside of a jail cell. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's a little, you know, a little different there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rudy got bit at one point, I think by Lenore, and um, his hands started to get hairy. And when yeah. he, he goes down into that lower level and he finds the dude from the beginning that's tied up and that guy is like getting super hairy because he's basically transforming into one of those bat monster creatures. Right, but you can see that the transformation basically is like a two-type transformation for them, for the for the males. Yeah. So basically, they become sort of like a werewolf. In you know, they become like a werewolf because they get very hairy. If you notice the, uh, you know, the guy that was tied up from the beginning, he's on this pole tied up, but his he's he's got hair all over his face, his arms. His transformation is almost complete, but it's like a two-part transformation. Right. So first you got to become like a werewolf type character. Then you become the creatures, those hideous, you know, of course, rubber mask yeah. <laughs> bat creatures that, <laughs> that, that, that are there. You become one of them with the capes opening up. So basically that's what Rudy was going through, that transformation after being bit. Right. He didn't become a vampire right away because he had to go through that process of becoming, transforming into the hairy creature and then becoming the actual Batman or the bat uh, right. uh, monster, you know, bat yeah. creature. But I guess it didn't go all the way through because, I mean, he had one hand for the longest time and then his other hand became, he was almost <clears throat> to the point where he's getting blind. Yeah. So he was coming blind. He couldn't see hardly, but he could have a, a sense of hearing because keep in mind that they have acute sense of hearing, you know, 
if you're a werewolf or you're a wolf, you can hear keen, you know, you have your, your audio is very keen. Right. So he right. says, I can hear things that nobody else could hear, but yet I'm becoming blind. So that was the transformation was happening with yeah. him. So, you know, <laughs> and the dude that's tied to the pole, he basically says, you need to stake me, you know, uh, put a wooden stake in my chest. And uh, Rudy doesn't want to do that. And he he frees Coleman, who's also tied up down there. Um, and then they they, um, you know, they run out into this main room where the giant organ with all the skulls on it is. And all these vampire creatures show up. And I think the character Martha is being brought in because that's that's the other one that um, Subutai wanted to right, turn. Uh-huh. And um, and it's great because you're watching the scene and you can almost see it on Rudy's face where he realizes the organ is the key. And, you know, he fights his way through the monster. He knocks out Lenore. And then he gets to the organ and he starts playing that music and it's driving them all away. And I just thought that was a wonderful scene. Yes, if you notice too, that's the ending. The ending scenes there. Uh, Count Subotai actually that that he transformed more hideous. Yes, where he he actually was becoming like one of the bat creatures. Yeah, his he 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 had ears come huge ears like bat like ears were coming out of his side. If you notice that, yes, yes, that I was did. part of the, 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 the so that what was was doing so that basically was a way of first transforming them into a a bat and then killing them with the music like that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You know, and then he just couldn't take it and he kept running back and running back and running back. And then, you know, he figured, well, I got to get away. And he says, you know, the heck with everybody for all the other bat creatures. And of course the women, it didn't really affect them much because the women, they didn't change into anything. They were just, they were already vampires, good looking vampires. Right. If you know what I mean? But, um, you know, so yeah, that ending, that ending scene with him playing the organ and he knew the right notes to hit yeah. to where he could destroy all of them and free, you know, Lenore, free Martha and free all the rest of them, which he did free at the end there. If you notice what, you know, we're giving all the spoilers away, by the way. Oh, yeah. We, I, so, I mean, a spoiler <laughs> warning at the beginning. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, Lenore, you know, I mean, Rodolfo says, Lenore, Lenore, you know, after he you know, Super Thailand's up fighting with Bavier, and and uh, 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 they're all fighting there and everything else, and they landed up, landed up going to that pit. You know, the pit was yes. where basically that that the the pit with the stakes, yeah, was where uh, uh, Count Subutai used to throw his 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 bat creature minions that didn't follow his orders right. He would kill them. He would throw them down in the, in those stakes. Oh, okay. You know, they, remember, there was a scene one of his bat minions didn't. Follow the instructions right, or didn't oh, was it able right. to get? I forgot about that. Yeah, re- remember he was supposed to get Martha, and yeah. he was in that room, and the music led him away. He couldn't finish the job of getting biting Martha. Right, which that's right. He, he didn't. He didn't get to do that, and he left. So he didn't complete his mission. So yeah. Subotai says, "You failed your mission, so now you got to die." So he throws him into the pit. Right. And then Lenore uh, is so distraught, even though she's reverted to human, she's distraught because whatever control he had over her, she's still like in love or enamored by Subutai that she just tosses herself into the pit, too, and it gets impaled on the spikes. Yeah, I mean, that's really a kind of a sad ending for that for her, because you figure, you know, being one of the nieces and being one of the one of the one of the, uh, you know, <laughs> the Coleman's to survive. You know, I mean, she did, you know, she took her own life. 
But because, I mean, she was already so mesmerized in wanting being a, uh, 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 a vampire, a female vampire and stuff like that. And that's, you know, being part of the undead, that's what she wanted it, you know? So it's the thing of evil. <clears throat> so once evil takes over you, I guess it's always going to be that way. You know, you're going to, you, even if you come back to human form again, it's, in most cases, in, in a lot of the other vampire films that we see, when the, uh, the the woman gets transformed back to their, her natural beauty, it's always after the fact when she's already died or has a stake impaled in her heart right. or something like that, you know, and then she becomes, she regains her beauty again, which means that a spirit gets released, a right. demonic evil spirit. But in the case of Lenore, she came back, she was alive because, I mean, uh, she actually did get staked, she didn't get impaled, she just got bitten and she just got stabbed a little bit with that dagger to get some blood so upon uh subotai dying then it releases the curse on rodolfo he becomes human again you know and yeah. lenore becomes human again because the curse is lifted yeah but exactly i guess like you said with the hypnotic transgressions trans transitions that constable tai led on her to make her want to be his main queen forever she decided to just say well i'm gonna go with him yeah. And that's how it that's how it happened. Yeah. You know? So, Juan, uh, give us your final thoughts on uh the world of the vampires. Well, I tell you, my final thoughts on this film is I think it it, it is it is a it is a pretty good movie. I'm saying pretty good to amazing because for anybody that has never seen it, it has a little bit of everything. The visuals are great, you know, the atmosphere, you know, the 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 vampire creatures are great. Of course, I like the idea of them sticking the capes out all the time, walking around with the capes extended, like they're good, ready to turn into bats and fly away. Right. The rubber bats um, these in this film are somewhat really cool because you know they use that ee 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 that yeah. little noise that they always <laughs> use the sound effects of rubber bats, and you can see their beady eyes. You know, these are bats that have white eyes. You can see their eyes, and you can see the little faces, and you know the idea. Of, of having bat creatures like that. Remember, these these bat-like creatures were used with El Vampiro started it, but then it transpired over to many of the uh, vampire films. And I got to tell you, some of the biggest, biggest bats, rubber bats, were to be found in the movie of the, uh, the Bloody Vampire and oh, the wow. Invasion of the Vampires. If you watch those two movies... <laughs> We, I'm not going to spoil that one, but yeah. they have some of the biggest giant rubber bats that you'll ever see will be in the invasion and the uh, the bloody vampire. I'm right. talking about these are like five to six foot bats flying at you. That's amazing. Yeah, so you got to <laughs> see that. But anyway, the idea that the, my premise to the film overall to wrap up here is uh, it's a it's a must have if you like collecting uh, the old classic uh horror vampire films i mean if you like el vampiro you're definitely going to like this film okay because it is it first it's atmospheric it's black and white um it has all the the uh the the credentials of a, a typical count dracula film except the character is not count dracula he's got a different name his cape is the same he has a medallion around his chest the only thing is his collar man that that collar really really trips me out <laughs> He's got that, that long collar over, you know, cover. I guess Bella Lugosi never had a collar like that. Right, anyway. right. <laughs> uh, but, and then his minions, his bat feature, you know, they were all like beady looking and 
horrible, horrible like zombie creature faces, and it was really good. Yeah, and I recommend it. Anybody that sees a vampiro and they see the uh, see this film, also the bloody vampire, the invasion of the vampires. Definitely, it's a must-have in a collection if you like collecting of the uh, the Mexican vampire films of the early '60s. This is a must-have in the collection. I mean, it's just unusual because it involves destroying uh, a clan of vampires via music, which is something that has never been done before. Right. Right. Yeah, I I love this movie. I just thought it was so well done. It was well shot. Um, if did I ask you at the beginning? Is there? Do you know if there's like a Blu-ray or a, a regular DVD version of this? There is a regular DVD, uh, a Mexican DVD version, only in Spanish. Okay. It doesn't have the English subtitles to it. Yeah, they need to release this with a nicer print, and you know maybe some English subtitles or dubbing, um, because it's just so good. I really feel people would enjoy this. You know that the story itself was very clever. Very well done, you know, like you said, the whole thing about the music and how it can affect people and even monsters and animals. It was just very inventive. I really, I liked that a lot, that aspect, because it has, I haven't seen that before, you know. No, yeah, it, it is very atmospheric and it is, yes. it has the music, it has the feel and, you know, the castle and the rooms. And of course, you know, the, the, the vampires coming in through the window and at night and she's in bed and you got the moon and you got everything is very ideal to a typical vampire film. But, you know, with the add-ons of, you know, having the, 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 the main characters involved in the plot having to do with uh, music, you know, and, and then, of course, he does give that. I like the idea of giving a summary of how uh super tie why he was there why what was his purpose what was his mission what was he trying to go after the the coleman family specifically yeah. so he did mentions that you know where he's in the cave and you know i like the idea of him you know talking about that and saying hey look this is the reason why i need to kill the last three survivors of the coleman family because they were the ones that did my people in back 200 years ago 300 right. years ago so there's a little story behind that i like that idea all in all you know, I would say the movie, you know, if you want to give it the between one and five stars, I would say I would give it I would give it four stars because, I mean, if you, like you said, there has to be a better print, another a nicer version of this. The Spanish version, the Mexican version is an official release in Mexico, but it doesn't have uh, English subtitles. Right. That's the only thing. But it is a very beautiful print remastered from the original prints. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely recommend this, people. And uh, right now you can find it on YouTube. So I highly recommend people should check this out. Well, folks, thank you for joining us today. That was part one of my uh, discussion with Juan Ortiz from the B-Movie cast about Mexican vampire films. And that was world of the vampires so the next time you hear the two of us together we will be discussing a movie from 1967 called empire of dracula also an awesome mexican horror film Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallow Tober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. 
I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manel and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com <laughs>